Welcome to PCB Chat, where we talk with experts across the printed circuit design, manufacturing, and electronic supply chain fields. I'm Mike Buto, president of the PCEA. My guest today is Madan Jagernath, marketing director and project facilitator of the High Density Packaging User Group Consortium, also known as HDP. Thank you for joining me on PCB Chat today. I trust you had a nice Thanksgiving. Good morning, Mike. Uh, thanks very much. Yes, it was a good, uh, quiet weekend. Uh, so I'm back and ready to go. When we spoke in March, we talked about HDP's technical direction, which describes for HDP members the path you have set as a priority. And in that technical direction, you down-selected to five emerging technologies that fit in your umbrella. Could you briefly recap those five technologies? Sure, Mike. So when we looked at all of the things that, uh, that are possible to be done, and we look at the strengths of uh, HEP membership, uh, there are five areas of focus that we have uh, selected to uh, uh, pursue. Uh, new high-speed materials. Uh, if, uh, this is focused on uh, the new emerging technologies for optical and uh, wireless networks. You know, right now, in, in optical, they're talking about uh, 800G and 1.6T, which are combinations of, for 800G, 100 gigabit per second circuits. Um, and, you know, as they're going to 1.6T, they're talking about combinations of 224 gigabit per second circuits, which means that uh, you need to run in excess of 100 gigahertz, really, 112 gigabaud to meet those kinds of requirements. So this is one of the areas of looking at, you know, there are lots of stuff between that and uh, uh, where we are for DC to 112 gigabaud. You know, so the millimeter wave stuff that the wireless guys are doing and the next generation wireless uh, tech, uh, technologies that are coming. Um, after, you know, beyond that, there's the ongoing stuff around uh, lead-free solders, the so next generation solders. Um, and though we're in the, the, you know, maybe the third to fourth generation of lead-free solders, you know, there's still some requirements for tin leads. So there's always the need to compare new, new lead-free solders to SAC 305 to tin lead. Um, higher copper densities, as we look at higher speed circuits and uh, 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 a lot more data being transmitted all over the place, a lot more data being processed. There's need for uh, higher density circuits uh, to reduce how much power is consumed in the data centers. So those are things that we're looking at. And as you look at these higher density technologies, you also have to find uh, new methods of assessing reliability uh, because the the old methods when there were low density circuits don't necessarily apply to, you know, 55 layer boards with very, very fine lines and things like that. And then next generation flex. Right now we don't have any projects in next generation flex, but it's an area that we have to uh, start focusing on as we go into the future. So those are the five areas in, in a broad sense. Well, I want to talk a bit more about the lead-free projects in a moment, um, but I'm going to go back to the, the 800 to 1.2 T gigabytes. 1.6. 1.6. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to shortchange anyone. <laughs> so I, I, I realize that we're talking about optical there, but those will be run through a, an interconnect, like a circuit board. Yes. Yeah, so, so you basically go from uh, the, the chip, 
that is processing the signal uh, through the circuit board to a, an, a, an electrical to optical converter, right? So that's on the transmit side and on the receive side, signal comes in, goes from optical to electrical into whatever chip is processing that signal for distribution to the, pro to the printed circuit board. And much of what you're looking at is is um, essentially proof of concept, correct? What we're looking at is evaluating the materials uh, that will help to drive that next generation of uh, printed circuit boards, right? because we're focused on printed so, circuit boards. So in, as a byproduct of that research, would then design guidelines and other such um, type of tutorial come out of it, or is it is it more focused than that? It's more focused on that in terms of uh, providing data to our uh, and insight to our members so that they can then uh, uh, understand how they can use the materials. Right? You know, so we, we don't actually publish uh, uh, guidelines. We publish technical reports based on the evaluations we do. And I understand that uh, HDP has begun eight new projects this year, and all but one of those are in line with the technical direction that you just outlined. So given that, what's the outlier and what's the rationale for taking that one on? All of our projects are driven by what our members want to do, right? So while we will encourage members in these uh, focus areas, there's always going to be some outliers because members have a specific interest in evaluating a particular subject, right? So, um, you know, we, if there is enough interest in the membership for a particular project of immediate interest, that will get done. So I would expect that over time, we will follow Pareto's principle, right? 80-20 rule. So most of our projects will be in the areas of focus, but we are always gonna have that other column that says there's something else that members are really interested in that is of current uh, uh, need to evaluate. Now I'd like to take a brief word for today's sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by PCB East, the Electronics Industries Conference and Exhibition for the East Coast. PCB East 2023 takes place May 9 to 11 in the Boston suburbs. Visit pcbeast.com for details. But Dan, HDP has 24 ongoing projects, and in looking at the breakdown, it, it appears that nine of them are scheduled to be completed uh, in Q1 of next year. You, now, you know better than me, but that seems like a lot of things that are going to be winding down all at once. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, so what, what happens is, as we go through the process, um, some things take longer to test. And the, you know, if you're evaluating a new material, and you think, based on your experience, the testing will take six months, and you get a material that's an outlier that takes nine months to complete the testing, uh, then you know it takes nine months. So uh, basically, uh, this is driven by the, the data that comes in. So for example, with SOLIDA projects, uh, we will test to N63, right? 63% failure rate. Um, there are times when uh, in one project that is slated for a January completion or first quarter completion, um, there are two components we're testing, a 192-pin BGA and an 84-pin BGA. The 192-pin BGA, all of the samples have reached N63. The 84-pin BGA, 
they're hard failing at the rate we expected, right? So, and you see, you can discern from solder, solder type to solder, from solder composition, solder composition, differences in the uh, reliability. So you have to go through the entire process and get to all of them, all of them reaching N63 before we can say, okay, now we can do the evaluation and, and publish reports and those kinds of things. So we take our best guess at when it'll be done, but then it's... And it appears that you have two, I'll call them new projects, uh, there at the idea stage, um, both aimed at uh, fabrication processes, one on, or, or materials really, so one on copper surface ruffle, roughness modeling and one on uh, non-contact copper foil profiles. What can you tell us about those? And, and typically, how often do things actually that are in the idea stage, how often do they actually go through to the definition and then on to implementation? Most of the time, they, they go through from the idea phase to the definition phase um, because it's, it's, it's an easy hurdle to go from idea to definition. As long as there are two members who are interested in a particular idea, we can then say, okay, fine. We've had a kickoff meeting. There are, there's more than one member interested in pursuing this. Let's see if we can define a project. And then, you know, in the definition phase, it has, there's a higher hurdle. You have to make sure that, that all of your ducks are lined up, right? That you have a clear definition of what's in scope and out of scope, uh, that the resources are there in the member companies to execute the project, and that the board of directors actually says, yeah, we, we, we as an organization will undertake this project. So. You know, there's a, a filter there for the board that, that you can get the project uh, sent back for further definition or rejected. Uh, there are occasions on which, uh, for whatever reason, either funding or lack of uh, uh, appropriate test resources, a project uh, does not get uh, uh, implemented. But most of the time, the members are, are there are a sufficient set of members interested in getting the project done that it will get done. Now, as I look at these uh, new projects. I think you're asking me what they're focused on. Um, both of them are looking at um, both of them are looking at uh, surface roughness of copper. The last one that came up is really looking at a non-contact way of measuring surface roughness. And as we're looking at higher speed uh, uh, circuits, uh, the ability to get uh, printed circuit boards of high reliability with uh, a lower roughness is a, um, a a key requirement because if if there's more roughness, there's more noise introduced and those kinds of things. So this is one that is looking at the laser method of um, uh, measuring the surface roughness of copper foil so that uh, we can evaluate copper foils um, and understand uh, how they will behave. Uh, and and um, the... The key thing here is to propose a new measurement standard, I believe, in this particular uh, project. The, the one before that, the copper surface roughness modeling, is to look at predictive modeling of copper surface. There's a model that's been used for a long time uh, called the Hooray model from the 1960s. Um, and, what, what we're looking at now is introducing uh, a, a new uh, predictive model or refining that model from the 60s for what's available today at this time uh, in the industry. So those are uh, 
enabling technologies as we look towards uh, high-frequency applications in the future. Now, I teased this earlier, but I'd like to talk a bit about the lead-free solder programs. We as an industry, of course, may think of solder as old hat, but in truth, there's been a remarkable amount of product development in this area over the past few years, driven in part by all the various new end uses, in particular electric vehicles. I know one of these projects is nearing completion, and that is the Low Silver Alloy Solder Paste Reliability BGA project that was led by Nokia. What can you share with listeners about that research? Okay, so basically, um, the way that uh, mixed metallurgy uh, project is running is uh, it's a test of getting uh, BGAs with SAC 305 and attaching them to print circuit boards with other low silver solders so that it's not a, a, a consistent uh, solder alloy when you start out. You're using two alloys. When you reflow them, then you get a, a new alloy formed the, of the two different uh, um, alloys. So that project uh, has been using the same test vehicle we've used for solder evaluations for a long time. Um, it's one that was designed by Nokia for INME back more than a decade ago. And this is the one that is used in our solder evaluations. There are two components on that board, a 192 pin, a 192 ball grid array, and an 84 ball grid array. So the 192 uh, BGA part of it is done. Uh, the 84 part of it is still under test, as I mentioned earlier. Um, Essentially, there was a first leg of this project that used, uh, I believe, QFNs to dung select the types of solders we'd use. And based on that research, uh, four solders were chosen for this mixed metallurgy um, uh, project. So what I can say is, uh, first of all, the, the project's being run by Nokia. Uh, Richard Coyle of Nokia Bell Labs is an expert in the field, and he's been leading this project. And uh, earlier in, the, in October, uh, he presented a subset of the results, the, the 192 BGA results at SMTAI uh, in, in that uh, conference uh, in early, late October. So the 192 bit of it is on, 84 bit of it is on the way. The key takeaway from it is that all of these third generation solders, the, the ones with a small amount of bismuth in them, are more reliable than SAC 305. The extent to which they're more reliable depends on the type of component and the use case, like what's the thermal range and those kinds of things. So, you know, the, the detail, some of the results have been presented at uh, SMTAI um, that Richard presented in October uh, in a paper called Improved Thermal Fatigue Reliability of SAC 305 due to mixed metallurgy assembly with a high-performance uh, bismuth-bearing solder paste. Right? This was an HDP project led by Richard and contribu contributions from a bunch of other of our members, including Juniper and uh, Keysight and Indium and Nihon Superior, you know, the solder, solder vendors and the test vendors and things like that. So. so we've been discussing the solder characteristics but HDP also looks at the laminates used under these reflow conditions as well, correct? 
Correct. I mean, the, the materials project that was started in 2008 started because of the solders. Um, Tinlad uh, Eutectic uh, melts or, or reflows in, in the 180, melts in the 180 Celsius range. So the reflow point is somewhere above that. These solders have melting points somewhere between 210 and 225 Celsius. So the reflow point is much higher than that. So when you look at using uh, lettery solders, uh, you know that the laminate materials will be subjected to much higher temperatures and the structures, the buried vias or blind vias or whatever you have in there will also be subjected to higher uh, temperatures. So there are a number of potential failure mechanisms when you have a lead-free solder that you are um, uh, reflowing with. So that was a genesis of the uh, materials project back in 2008. There are six phases of that that have been completed, more than 84 uh, materials that have been tested over the years. Uh, the phase seven of that is uh, underway now. Um, so that's a, a 10 or 11 different sol uh, uh, laminate materials will be tested. With each phase, there are refinements in what is tested. Um, so, you know, this is one of those things that, that uh, is an ongoing project um, that uh, will take some time to uh, complete. And I know that you have a couple different programs uh, underway for um, alloys that are used under harsh uh, or harsh environments. Um, I'd like to ask, do any of those projects specifically include um, any of the lower temperature uh, melting point solders? Uh, no, these are all solders that uh, melt between 210 and 225, I believe, or 205 and 225, somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. So these are not the low temperature solders, these are high temperature solders. Yep. Um, and there are two projects. One, one is looking at extended uh, uh, duration at the thermal extremes. So um, this is a project that, uh, that has three thermal profiles, 0 to 100 for telecoms, uh, minus 25 to 125, and minus 40 to 125. Um, sorry, 0 to 100, minus 40 to 125, and minus 55 to 125 if I remember correctly, um, and, and three thermal pro, uh, and, and uh, nine solder pastes, plus tin lead and SAC-305. Uh, so we, we have a quite extensive uh, uh, set of tests on, uh, on the way here. <clears throat> so tin lead and SAC-305 are, are used as baselines? Baselines, yes, yep. absolutely. Um, so in in the in the second phase of this, it's looking at, at uh, extended duration instead of ten minutes at the high and low temperature, it's sixty minutes at the high and low temperature. Um, in the third phase, we're looking at uh, since you know sixty minute dwell extends the test cycle to quite a long time. We're looking in the third phase at uh, can uh, uh, thermal shock be used as an alternative to thermal cycling? Um, you know. So th this is a, 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 a quite extensive project. And as I reported to IPC in October, it's a project that is, uh, uh, this pro these two projects are, are being done in conjunction with uh, other consortia. Um, we have done work in the past with INEMI. 
Um, and in the case of uh, in the case of the Horseshoes Alloy Three, uh, area consortium is also working on that. So, you know, it's a combination of resources from our member companies and their member companies to get this quite extensive test done. Now, HDP returned to face-to-face meetings this year. Uh, what, if anything, would you say you are doing differently now and maybe going forward versus how you operated pre-COVID? So our meetings have always been a combination of in-person and virtual meetings. We always have a, uh, a broadcast element to it through, through our WebEx uh, capabilities. During COVID, the, the big thing we lost was the ability of members to huddle in person and come up with ideas, right? You know, so now we're back to operating pretty much the same way we were operating before COVID-19. Um, the projects that got delayed during COVID-19 are pretty much uh, clearing out as we get back to normal operations. So, you know, in the two reporting period, our reporting periods are July to June. So in the two COVID-19 reporting periods in 2020 and 2021, we managed to complete seven projects from 21 to, uh, 20 to 21 and eight projects from 21 to 22 during COVID-19. This calendar year, from January until now, we've completed nine projects. So we're starting to clear out the, uh, the backlog of projects that got delayed because of supply chain issues or members not being able to get into their labs or whatever else, right? And get back to more normal operations where I'd expect to see we hit the cadence we had pre-COVID-19. And you've added uh, several new corporate members of late. Yes, this year uh, we added uh, six new members. Uh, In the last uh, few months, we've added uh, uh, AMD. Uh, We're very happy to have two of the largest chip vendors in the world as members. Mitsui Mining and Smelting, uh, Grace Electron, and Deakin America. So four since we spoke in March. Uh, So our membership has been running around 50 members. Uh, So right now we're at about 53 members. And I'm expecting we'll stay about there uh, through the next year or so. Listeners who want to hear more about HDP are invited to visit their website at hdpusergroup.org. This podcast has been brought to you by PCB East, the Electronics Industries Conference and Exhibition for the East Coast, taking place May 9 to 11 in the Boston suburbs. Visit pcbeast.com for details. But Dan, before we close out, uh, are there any other programs that you want to, uh, to mention um, or single out for our listeners? What I'll say is that uh, HDP was formed in 1993. So next year we will be celebrating our 30th anniversary. Um, so you know that's something that we look forward to doing. And uh, as as the marketing guy, I probably will take a look back at you know what where we've come from and the successes over the years, uh, just to highlight what HDP has been doing and the contributions we've made to the industry. So. Well, we're looking forward to that. Uh, perhaps we can do, um, you know, something something special for uh, our readers and our listeners uh, when that rolls around. Look for looking forward to it, Mike. Great. Well, thank you for catching us up on the latest HGP research. It's always a pleasure to have you on PCB Chat, Madame. Thanks, Mike, and thanks for taking the time. And look forward to chatting with you chatting with you again soon. For PCB Chat, this is Mike Buto. Have an, have a good day.